0: No problem. Amen to that, that's right. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to the third chapter of the book of Ephesians. We'll look at the, a little bit at an interesting passage. It's just, uh, you'll find no other passage like this in your scripture. Well, Paul kind of does this in other places, but not like he's done to this point in chapter 3. And uh, as we open chapter three and uh, just uh, skim a little bit of its worth and value to us this morning, a little bit, I, I think uh, our goal is to see a a life uh, that has been given, uh, and that is Paul's life. But it ultimately, as as Christians, it becomes our life. And the, the 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 tension here is that the world does not understand that completely, and to the world, it looks like a foolish hot mess. Uh, but to us, you know, to us who are being saved, it is life. Uh, we can look at a person like Paul and understand, or like Jesus. The, the world, by and part, though, just sees it as foolishness, sees it as a difficulty, sees it as something to lament what being a Christian truly is. Why, why would you want to live a life like that? It seems like there's no blessings there, but it is in that life that Paul presents this morning in this digression, this 12 verse digression that he gives us that we see the fantastic joy it is to give your life and why that is so important uh, to the world and to a testimony to the world so it's I'm calling it a life given and it's uh, calling you to see that as Paul gave his life we're called to give our lives as Christians and that in doing so there's rich deep blessings and reward in that so let's read the chapter of three all of the chapter i know it's kind of lengthy but it'll kind of set our hearts for this and let's just skim it this morning and get started in it uh, for the next few weeks and see what the lord has be given us here in chapter three of the book of ephesians because it's kind of the pendulum between the first part of ephesians and the second beginning in verse one chapter three for this reason i paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. Of course, that was his Damascus Road experience, right? When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations. It has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets those being very important in chapter 2, remember, by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, Though I am the very least of all saints, that this grace was ever given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to begin to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that you may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that even surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come this morning, we begin into the third chapter of the book of Ephesians. I marvel at the richness of this book, how Paul lays his life out there on the line. And Fathers, we put that a little bit better into perspective for our hearts this morning. I just pray that you work, that your Holy Spirit work in the hearts of your people. Father, that you'll overcome my simple words this morning. You'll speak directly into their hearts, the the message you would have them hear, the encouragement that you would have them to take away from this passage, the the strength that we get to live the life that you called us to live through these words and through these examples that you've left us like Paul, like the church at Ephesus. Father, glorify yourself in these words and this work today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For this reason, I, Paul. Do you see that there in 3.1? Well, if you look down at 3.14, you see that Paul does the same thing in 3.14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees. So he starts out in 3.1 and he says, for this reason, I. And he's getting ready to finish and give you what verse 14 to verse 21 is. In other words, what he's going to do is digress with verses 2 through 13 in telling you something that is, I hope, going to fill your hearts with glory this morning. Because he he stops. He he wants to give them the straight on fire and truth of what he's going to say in verses 14 through 21, which is just absolutely fascinating. It's the second prayer in the book of Ephesians. We went through the first prayer that begins in verse 15 of chapter 1. You remember it, Paul says, for this reason, because I, and these are methods that Paul uses in all his letters. These words sound familiar because of this. But after giving us all of chapter 1, the first part, he says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love towards all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ The Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him so that your eyes will be open so that you can take in and understand all the richness and the fullness of what it means that God has done in Christ for you. Right? Because I think it's something we continually begin to understand better from the day we're saved, as we mature as Christians, as we spend time in Bible study, as we spend time in prayer. As we spend time with each other in Sunday morning services and Sunday school and all the things that we do, we understand more and more how God has loved us. And the more and more that we understand how God has loved us, the more and more we understand who God is. And the more and more that we understand who God is, we see how strong and sovereign and how how his watch care and how he loves his people and how he's never going to let them falter. Listen, the world tells you just the opposite. You're going to fail. You're going to fall on your face because kind of to the world we do. But with the God, these things are permanent and perfected and, and and all in jesus christ he's not going to let any of these things fall to the ground so paul says it is in this suffering in this understanding of who christ is and what christ has done and what's going on in my life i don't want you to lose grip with the greater things i want you to go on and grab the glory the hope to which you've been called but he just does that again here in chapter three uh, and he does so with a pastor's heart that gives this digression because he's getting ready to say what it says in verse 14. For this reason, um, I think the NLT translation says, because these things have happened, because of all this, I think is exactly what it says. And I kind of like that better. What he's saying is, because of all the things that I've just taught you, all the glories and richness of Christ, how God planned before the foundation of the world um, to unite you to Christ, chapter 1, verse 4, Right? Before the foundation of the world, that's how secure your salvation is. You're not holding it up from your end looking back to God. God has planned this before the foundations of the world. And then in verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, So that I sent my son to die on the cross to bleed, to pay for all this, to pay your sins, to pay your penalties so that you could be redeemed. And then in chapter and verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1, he said, then you heard the good news of your salvation, the word of truth. The Holy Spirit came into work into you, and you said, aha, this is it, I understand. This is the gospel, I'm a sinner, I need to be reconciled before God. God sent his son Jesus to die, and because my faith in Jesus is what it is, I can repent of my sins and look to God for all my hope. And that's what he's getting ready to say here. Because of these things, because these things are so marvelous and so magnificent and so grand, there's going to be some problems with you understanding them. So instead of going right into this little prayer, it begins in verse 14. So I bow my knees before the Father, and you're going to see the same solution that he comes to, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you, that's what Paul wants for each one of us, beloved. That's what every pastor wants for every flock. Every pastor that's standing and speaking this morning wants their flock, wants the people that that they preach to, to understand and to know God better. Listen, it's the heart of what drives a pastor. I want you to know God better. I don't want to bring in politics i don't want to bring in my own thought i don't want to bring in the world's philosophy or the world's wisdom i want you to know god better and to know god better you need to know god's word and that's what paul is praying for here i want you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that you'll know him right that is paul's heart i think you know that from paul so he starts out in the top of chapter three to do just that and he's thinking oh just a minute there's something big that's getting in the way it's like huge What is it? What is Paul thinking? And he writes these words for this reason or because of these things. I, Paul, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. But it's on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Paul instantly becomes a pastor in that moment and he said, Oh my goodness, because of the things I'm suffering... I don't want these young believers to stumble and to fall. Because of all the glorious realities that I'm preaching of how good God is and how masterful He it is in bringing His sons into His uh, into to the knowledge of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and saving them, I don't want them. I'm in prison. What are they going to think about me? I don't want them to stumble. And I'll tell you, beloved, one of the greatest things that we deal with as Christians, especially as it comes to as we interpose into the world and the world's questions are, is suffering. Why do people have to suffer the way, the way they do? And moreover, why do Christians have to suffer the way they do? And moreover, why is Paul stuck in a prison in Rome writing this letter about all these grand things? If this God is such a grand God, wouldn't he pull Paul right out of that prison and bring him right on down here to the pulpit so he could preach to us directly the revelations of Jesus Christ? Do you see how his pastor's heart takes over here? Because it's in them first beliefs and those inklings uh, that you as a Christian are susceptible to looking at somebody suffering as a Christian and go, man, I'm running out of here with my hair on fire. Suffering is always the most difficult thing for for a Christian. So he writes, it's for this reason. It's because I want you to reach these platitudes. But there's something that sounds so dichotomous to the world here. The world looks into the church and they said, why do these people want want to pull themselves out of the world? Why do they want to act like this? Why would they ever do these things? But in Paul's preaching this morning, he gives us that exact answer. Why would he digress like this? Why would he do that? Well, the first thing is what I've just given you. Because he wants to protect the hearers here. But there's something much greater that Paul is trying to get us to see. For this reason, he says, I, Paul. For this reason, I, Paul, was a prisoner. Listen, Paul uh, had three parts of his life. His former life, his current position in life, and his ministry in Christ that I want to talk to you just briefly on this morning. Because it's in these three things that this digression becomes so, so important. They troubled over his imprisonment. His imprisonment would have been so important to these young Christians. His sufferings and tribulations would become a stumbling block to them if he would let them become a stumbling block to them. But in the glorious Lord's providence, this stumbling block, or what looks like a stumbling block, Paul is understanding that it becomes something much greater than that if he will show them how it is he deals with these very same questions. That is that in his suffering, what the way he deals with it and the way he's describing it to this church, he is giving them something much more glorious, much more valuable. He's giving the glorious possibilities of the Christian life. Why does God allow his own people to suffer like this? The Bible is full of that truth because it changes us, because it makes us better, because it makes us hate the things of the world, because it makes us love the things of God, because it makes us hate the truth of the world, that the world's truth is is falsehood, because it makes us rely on the God who gave us the truth of Scripture. That's why God does that. Let's go to Romans chapter 5, just a few pages backwards in your Bible. Now let's begin to read some of these truths, and when these ring in your ear, you're going to hear that your Scripture are full of these truths. And then we're going to put that together this morning and tell you why it's full of these truths, because it is the Christian life that we're called to. Jesus said, what did Jesus say? He said, what, is, what does a man gain? He gains the whole world and loses his soul. He may have every hot rod car that there is. He may have a brand new Corvette, man. Wouldn't that be cool, Adam? Right, yeah, Junior, right. It would be cool to have one of those. He may have all those things, but if he loses his soul in hell, what are all those things worth? Because he's not going to take them with him. He might gain the whole world, but he could lose his soul. So instead, Gaza calls us to a much different life. It doesn't mean that we can't have things like that. It means that we have to understand why we have things like that and understand them in order of priority. I like Brock Purdy this week or shortly after his wins last week with the San Francisco 49ers. Not that I'm choosing him to beat the Philadelphia Eagles today, okay? Don't take it that way and mob me. Mmm, wow. But that his attitude about it, I don't know if you guys saw some of the interviews with him this week, but he's full on Christian, man. He said, yeah, football is a lot of fun, but my identity, who I am, where I live, the reason I live, what I worship is the Lord Jesus Christ. You watch what will happen because this is the dichotomy in the world. He's going to start to lose a few games and he's going to get t right? Because there's a whole world out there that says, why would you make that more important than football when football is seemingly so important? It's not that football isn't important, it's just that Brock understands the priorities. Because long past football in his career, his identity is going to be in Jesus Christ as Lord. So if the Lord calls him to suffer, if the Lord causes these questions to come up, like they often do for professional athletes who claim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll see what Brock's made out of. You'll see what he truly believes. You'll see if he's ready to suffer for the cause of Christ. Because it's a cold, cruel world, especially that world. And they will call him to account. But Brock understands what Paul understands, and he's teaching us a very important lesson here, beloved, this morning. And that is that these sufferings make us pure and perfect. Romans chapter 5. Let's just begin in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the important part. We're going to come back to that. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace which we today stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. The Bible's full of those words. What kind of lunatic would rejoice in his sufferings? There's just one answer to that question. It's the Christian, because God is doing something more in his sufferings. And Paul didn't want these young Christians, and this is why he digresses for 12 verses, to be thrown off track before they reach the prize. But we rejoice in our sufferings knowing what. That suffering produces endurance, that endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. In other words, this is the life of the Christian to go through these trials, to go through these sufferings and to be built up. Because what's going to happen is everything in this world at some point, at some place, no matter how great it is, is going to disappoint you. And if your hope is there, it will fail. So the dichotomy is you've been called to suffering. You've been called to put away the things of this world. And see what God is doing in that. Put away the things of this world. Let's go to Colossians 1.24. If you're back to Ephesians, it's just a couple pages to your right. And this is Paul's ministry. Colossians 1.24, he says, again, the writer here, Paul, just as in Romans and just as Ephesians. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Okay, did you catch it there? This is where Paul's going to turn us. And he's going to show us that this suffering is necessary, not only as making us perfected in Christ, as we read from Romans 5. But it is necessary because those who are watching us see us in that suffering and is filling up the sufferings of the body of Christ. Who is the body of Christ? The church is the body of Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying in, in, in his digression in Ephesians chapter 3 is, is that I am suffering as a prisoner. Not a prisoner of just anyone. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And why was Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus? And Paul wasn't suffering in prison because he had done wrongdoing. He wasn't suffering because of anything that he had done specifically, like he had stole something from somebody's house. He was suffering for Christ Jesus. He was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul was suffering because he preached the gospel. Paul was suffering because he went into a world filled with Jews, into the Jews' world. In Acts 21, it begins in, I think, verse 27. And through the end of Acts, you'll see how much the Jews hated Paul's message to the Gentiles is that you, too, can be saved. That's why Paul was suffering in prison. That's why Paul would suffer gladly for that. And it's in Paul's sufferings, in his life, we can begin to see. He didn't say, well, you know, that the Christian life is kind of, some days you've got to take the good with the bad. He's saying it's all good. He's saying it's all glorious. So he is saying that the suffering is glorious. And how is it glorious? Because it's perfecting us. It's making us something that we couldn't be if the Lord didn't take us through these things. And here's where your own personal sphere of influence comes in on this. You can be like Paul and run into the deepest, darkest places and start screaming the gospel. And I promise you'll begin to suffer for that. But I also promise that God will do what he always does to us. Because God is filling up the body of Christ. Do you see that? Verse 24, chapter 1 of Colossians. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. And it's for your sake. Remember Ephesians 3.1, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. It becomes something much different when you see it like that. It becomes something much different. I rejoice, he says, in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. Because I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of the body that is his church. In other words, there was something in Paul's suffering that he wanted the Ephesian church to see in this digression. It was how he suffered. He didn't lament it. He rejoiced in it. What do we see when somebody's diagnosed with cancer and they go, It's God's will. He's going to walk me through it every step of the way. Do you get hope from people like that? Do you gain strength from people like that? Because that's exactly what's going on with the Apostle Paul here. That is what he is teaching us, that we shouldn't grumble, that we shouldn't grind, we shouldn't complain. Listen, God is sovereign. There's not one thing that's going to happen to you today or the Philadelphia Eagles that God hasn't already planned. <laughs> There's not one thing. God's not going to drop you out of His hand. You are in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ and He is in the hand of the Father. And not one thing's going to come to your way that He's not going to what? Romans 8.28, my brother's here, whose favorite verse in all of Scripture is He's going to work it out to your good. He's going to make you stronger. He's going to make you better. He's going to bring glory to that. Listen to me, and He's not only doing it just for you, but He's doing it for everybody who sees you suffer. Because that's what's going on in Paul's life. We shouldn't be... We shouldn't be, oh, I wish Paul didn't have to go through that. At some level, we should be rejoicing with Paul. Um, Just Philippians 1, in between Ephesians and Colossians. Philippians, by the way, Paul's in the Roman jail writing the book of Philippians uh, and Ephesians and Colossians. He wrote them from jail from a jail cell there in Rome. And he was in that jail cell in Rome because, as I said earlier, the Jews hated his message. They, they lamented what he was doing. But here Paul says about that jail cell, a lot of your headings are going to say in verse 12, chapter 1 of the book of Philippians, the advance of the gospel. And this was Paul's heart in this life. In other words, it's in his life, and his pastoral heart, he wanted to show the church at Ephesus and all the churches uh, that it was rejoicing, to, uh, rejoiceful to be suffering, to be able to suffer on this account, because it was not only making him better, but it was creating a good witness in their life. But it was also advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what suffering is always doing. Uh, Tertullian said in the second century that the, uh, that the blood of the martyr uh, is the seed of the church. That word martyr. Very important word. Uh, In the Greek, it means witness. You read it in your Old Testament or in your New Testament. It's a witness, a witness to Christ. And then later, as people would begin to be murdered and martyred for the word and the testimony of Christ, they began to be martyrs like we know them martyrs today. But Paul didn't see it like that. He rejoiced in these sufferings. Read verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me really served to advance the gospel. It advanced it such that it's verse 13 so that it became known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have becoming confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the pastoral part of Paul, he said, I've got to tell them what this imprisonment's all about. And then there's one final thing there in that chapter 3 verse 1 for this reason I Paul he was a prisoner he was not just a prisoner for his own bad doings but he was a prisoner for Christ Jesus he did it for the Ephesians it was all so that they would know the Lord Jesus Christ more specifically beloved that's what's going on in your suffering that's going on when you choose the world over or choose the church over the world Each and every time, God will use that. Stop and think with me just for one moment how many people the word and the life of Paul have touched. This book was written to the Ephesian church. But the church at Park Bible Baptist Church in 2023, reading the same words, understanding the same suffering, gains the same hope. Paul loved them enough to suffer for them. Paul loved them enough to rejoice that he was in prison. Beloved, when you come into Christian suffering for your Christian faith, you can rejoice in the Lord for what he's doing because he's bringing a testimony outside of your suffering that's greater than anything that you could ever do in this world. Do you see that? That was his heart this morning to do that. It was to bring the knowledge of the truth of what God's doing in even the most miserable of looking situations in a person's life. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. That word Gentiles, as we've seen it time and time again as we've worked through chapter 2, means the nations, ethnos, the ethnicities. I, Paul, have becoming a suffering, and I've been put in jail for preaching the gospel so that you Gentiles can hear the good news. So that you can see the manner of my life, so that you can see the way that I've lived, and that you can gain strength from what God is doing, because God is always building something greater. You may gain the whole world, but if you lose your soul, you've gained nothing in the end. Paul says, I rejoice in these things. I rejoice on behalf of what God has done. Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Do you see that? Paul considered it a grace to be imprisoned and to be making this testimony before this Ephesians church. Beloved, whatever you're going through today, God's not ignorant of it. God is the cause of it. You may be suffering, and it may be for being a Christian, but you can't complain. You may be suffering because it's your own sin that you're living the consequences of. But God is working through the middle of it if you love him and are called according to his purpose. You may be suffering because of what somebody else has done in your life. But God, as he always does in the work of his Christian people's lives, He is making you better for it. And you may be suffering, like Paul, for preaching the gospel, but God is doing a work through it. I'll leave you this morning with this. Dee Jespin, in 1982, was named by President Ronald Reagan as chief liaison on women's issues. She wrote this about Mother Teresa during a White House visit. One day, she said, I was privileged to sit at a table next to Mother Teresa of Calcutta. I had long admired her and her work with the destitute and dying in Calcutta and throughout the world. The Capitol Hill luncheon, in her honor, was held in the ornately decorated Senate caucus room in the Russell building. As she entered into that room, she seemed dwarfed by the enormity of the room. She was even tinnier than I had expected, Dee says. As she walked into the room, clad in a simple blue and white habit, though, I saw some of the strongest leaders in the world rise to their feet and applaud her with tears in their eyes. They were simply honored just to be in this woman's presence. Here was a woman who had obviously had tremendous power, she had posed more power than those who had walked with her through the marble halls of Congress. She had possessed more power than I had seen in this city of power, she writes. How has she done all of this? I asked myself. She owned nothing. She never shook her fist in anger for her own rights and never asked for anything for herself. Instead, she had reached down into the gutter and raised up and loved those the world calls unlovable and she had done it simply because the poor were created by God and she loves and cares and serves them she goes on to write all of us that day were humbled in the pres in her presence because we knew how just how full of ourselves we truly were God in his wisdom had once again used the simple to confound the wise he had elevated this woman to a place of international recognition and honor The greater example there of Paul and Mother Teresa is our Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin, the Lord made sin. Right? He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before seers is silent. Still he opened not his mouth. Peter would go on to say in the fourth chapter that he was reviled and he reviled not back. If there was anyone who didn't deserve to suffer, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet he came and he suffered mightily so that we would see his example, just as Paul had made mention of here in this digression in chapter 3. So that we would see his love, so that we would see his mercy, so that we would see God's grace. See God's perfect plan in redeeming those whom He loved and is calling to Himself. The Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest example here. You think you don't deserve suffering. You probably are not a Christian. If you're not rejoicing in your suffering this morning, if you're not rejoicing in your suffering, you're not seeing the sovereign hand of God. And his work in your life. Beloved Paul knew it. He understood that if he treated this suffering in a certain way, that these Ephesians would know it. And he can go on to boldly say and pray for them. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses even knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I'll leave you this last verse, verse 13. I didn't bring it out because I wanted to leave it. This is the end of the prayer that Paul had In his pastoral heart for these Ephesians, I ask you not to lose heart what I'm suffering for you. Don't let it become a crutch to you. Because what? Do you see it? Verse 13, it is your glory. Paul understood that if he saw suffering the way he needed to see it, that they would see it too and would see it as their glory. Beloved church, the Christian life is one of suffering, but it is for your glory. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to a close this morning. Just pray that you continue to work in the hearts of your people. Fathers, we stand before your table, that you would penetrate our hearts with the truth of what Christ has done for us. That he's washed us clean, that we can love others, that we can be full of his grace, full of his mercy, full of his joy, full of his life, and even full of his suffering. Because then it's in our suffering that you're bringing comfort to others, and that we can be comforted with the comfort that only comes through the knowledge of Christ. Thank you, Father, for your grace in that. I pray that you endear that message to the heart of your people this day. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. amen. All right, if the man will help me is coming.